This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. So I haven't talked about this in a while, but it's official. Elon Musk is now owned by Twitter. Now to commemorate his reign as the emperor of Twitter, he carried a sink into Twitter HQ and he tweeted, let that sink in. Absolutely brilliant stuff here, folks. Now, um, what he's trying to do is he's trying to change Twitter to make it profitable because currently Twitter is not profitable. And I understand that he paid a lot of money for Twitter, more than he should have probably, and he wants to make money off of this very irresponsible investment. But his ideas aren't very good so far. So he's trying to get people to pay money for a product that's already free. Right now, that's not inconceivable, to be clear, because YouTube has been a free service. It's free to subscribe, but YouTube introduced YouTube premium. Now, why would people pay for YouTube premium? Well, because if you use the service enough, it lets you bypass ads. I, for one, pay for YouTube premium because I don't like watching ads. So it's not inconceivable that somebody would give money for a product that they already use for free. The problem is, how do you make that worthwhile when it comes to Twitter? So his, I guess, idea currently, it's not official yet, but he's proposing that you remove features from the website that already exist and you force people to pay for said features to get them back. Not necessarily something that's going to go over too well if you're not just improving the site and you're stripping features away from people. Nonetheless, one of those features was, uh, as the Hills headline reports here, that they may begin charging $20 for verified users per month to maintain verification status. Now, reacting to this news, legendary author Stephen King tweeted out, $20 a month to keep my blue check? Fuck that, they should pay me. If that gets instituted, I'm gone like Enron. Yeah, and I agree with him. I'm not going to leave the site if he begins charging $20 per month for verification. I just wouldn't be verified. It's just not that important to me. It doesn't make sense to pay $20 a month for internet clout. I mean, the verification badge is there supposedly, so that way if you are a public figure, then you know, it stops others from impersonating you. They know that you're the real account holder of this thing, but it's not that important overall. I mean, $20 a month for verification status, it's just, it's a really bad idea. And I can't imagine anyone with the exception of Elon Simps would give him $20 a month for verification. Now, Elon Musk responded to Stephen King and he tried to negotiate with Stephen King with a little bit of a guilt trip, I guess. He said, we need to pay the bills somehow. Twitter cannot rely entirely on advertisers. How about $8? <laughs> I will explain the rationale in longer form before this is implemented. It is the only way to defeat trolls and bots. Twitter's got to make money somehow, but also, oh, no, 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 it's not about the money. It's to defeat the trolls and bots. Mm, that doesn't seem like the best way to do it. So it's already like he's just been the owner for like a week or so. It's already not necessarily going very well. Use of the N-word has increased by 500% because 
Elon Musk's fans feel emboldened. They feel as if, oh, well, now this is a free speech platform and we could do things that we couldn't do before. But really, nothing has changed with regard to policy. Just a bunch of racists feel emboldened now that a so-called free speech warrior is the owner of the website. So, look, if he destroys Twitter, let me just say this. I don't care that much. I use Twitter and I would prefer to have Twitter because it helps me as a political commentator. It kind of aggregates all of the news for me, so I don't have to go to website after website to try to figure out what's happening and what I want to talk about. So it's nice to kind of be able to keep in touch with people that way. But in the event, Twitter goes the way of the dodo. It's not the end of the world for me. In fact, I think that my mental health would improve if Twitter went away and I didn't feel compelled to use it. So, I mean, I'm not necessarily going to shed any tears if he destroys Twitter. Um, I'll be a little bit disappointed, probably, admittedly, but at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. This is something that isn't necessary for me as a content creator, right? When I share my Twitter videos, the conversion rate isn't that high. Like, I get maybe 50 to 100 views per tweet when I share my videos. So, I mean, it's just not that important at the end of the day, to me anyways, perhaps it's more important to independent journalists and whatnot who share their work that way, but at the end of the day, I don't care that much. Now, he did explain in a lengthier thread, it, it was relatively short, but he tried to explain the way that this model would function and the proposed benefits, um, but it somehow made less sense in the lengthier thread where he is offering clarification. He writes, Twitter's current lords and peasants system for who has or doesn't have a blue check mark is bullshit. Power to the people. Blue for $8 a month. You will also get priority in replies, mentions, and search, which is essential to defeat spam and scam, ability to post long video and audio, and half as many ads. So first of all, whenever a billionaire invokes lords and peasants and they pretend as if they're on the side of the peasants that already is just hilarious but to combat the current lords and peasants system what elon musk is proposing is that people pay eight dollars per month for twitter and then they'll get boosted by the algorithm and priority and replies and the peasants are definitely going to want to pay for that and therefore you're defeating the lords and the peasant system it seems like you're creating a lords and the peasant system by forcing people to pay because the peasants aren't going to be able to afford to pay. And a lot of the lords, i.e. the blue check marks, why would they pay for this? Because verification, again, is just not that important. It's just really it seeing this and seeing his rationale as he kind of like vomits this up into Twitter in this thread. It makes me think he's just not that bright. All of this talk of him being a brilliant businessman, I mean, it's all a facade. He's not that bright. These ideas are terrible. Are there ways to make Twitter profitable? I don't know, but perhaps this isn't the way that you go about it. And he's pretending as if Twitter ads are already like too much. I really don't feel bothered by the ads. I see them from time to time. They're not that common, not enough to really inhibit the overall experience. So it just feels like he doesn't have the best ideas and maybe billionaires aren't smart right um now he also adds that this is going to be a boon for creators because this will also give twitter a revenue stream to reward content creators so by charging content creators for verification twitter will now have a revenue stream to pay content creators pay them for what what additional content can content creators provide 
that warrants $8 per month. I mean, additional tweets, who gives a shit? I am a huge fan of Ethan Klein of H3, for example. I'm not going to pay $8 per month to see special tweets. If anything, maybe I'll pay for his YouTube membership for $5 per month so I can get access to behind-the-scenes videos. But special tweets, just not that important to me. So he's trying to make Twitter seemingly more like YouTube and Patreon, but it's just not the format for that. Like, the platform doesn't fit. It's incompatible with this format. But he's trying to find a way to make money. And people in the replies to this were just like, oh my god, it's amazing. Content creators will get paid. Why would you believe that? He already admitted that this is about making money. So it's not what he's doing to support content creators. If anything, this will hurt smaller content creators who can't afford $8 per month or $20 per month or whatever he wants to charge. So overall, it's just a terrible idea. And I'm kind of enjoying watching it. Like, again, it's weird because I don't necessarily want Twitter to be destroyed by this idiot billionaire. But at the same time, the way that he's implementing these changing uh, changes or the way that he is thinking aloud about things that he wants to do is so hilariously bad and comical. I just can't not look away. Like, it's, it's like a train wreck. Like, you have to watch, right? So... You know, he might destroy Twitter with all of these. I think that what's going to happen is if he institutes these changes and he starts, you know, bleeding users, then he's going to back off of them because ultimately he wants this to be a money-making venture because this is an investment that was very costly for him. So I think that if it hurts his business, he's not going to implement it. But either way, just seeing him try to find ways to take money from Twitter users, a free service, is is kind of funny. It shows how out of touch these billionaires are because nobody's going to pay for a $20 verification badge or an $8 verification badge. And if they do, then that just, to me, tells me that that person is an idiot and they should be avoided on Twitter. Right-wingers were initially ecstatic following news that billionaire Elon Musk would be purchasing Twitter, but just a week into his reign as chief twit, right-wingers are already turning on him in droves, and viciously so. So what set them off, you ask? Well, it wasn't necessarily the $8 verification fee that he is supposedly going to be charging. It is a particular meeting that he had and how Twitter will police hate speech going forward. So Twitter's head of safety and integrity, Yoel Roth tweeted, we're staying vigilant against attempts to manipulate conversations about the 2022 US midterms. Read on for independent analysis of our team's work. Now, Elon Musk responded to that tweet saying that he spoke to civil society leaders and members from civil rights organizations such as the ADL, the NAACP, LULAC, about how Twitter will continue to combat hate and harassment and enforce its election integrity policies. Now, he then followed up by saying, Twitter will not allow anyone who was deplatformed for violating Twitter rules back on the platform until we have a clear process for doing so, which will take at least a few more weeks. Now, all it took were those two tweets, and the right collectively has turned on him because they don't want to hear that Twitter will combat hate and harassment. But that's something that advertisers want. So you're not going to attract advertisers if this becomes a dystopian racist hellscape more so than it already is, right? So he's looking at the profitability of Twitter and how to go forward and make money. And the right just doesn't like that. 
So they're not happy and they voiced their outrage. Tim Pool tweeted out, hey, look, it's complete bullshit. Lauren Chen responded by saying, why is it in any way part of Twitter's goal to combat hate or have anything to do with election integrity? This is not sounding like a triumph for free speech, dot, dot, dot. Jack Posobiec tweets, every member of this group of divergent views called for Trump to be censored while he was the sitting president of the United States. He added, keep your getter, truth social and telegram account up and running. Tom Fitton writes, the left that supports mass censorship of their political opponents certainly seem well represented here. Benny Johnson, who accidentally outed himself as a homosexual on Twitter, calls on Elon Musk to fire Yoel Roth, saying, you will never restore public trust at Twitter when the guy in charge thinks 100 million Americans who support America first are, quote, literal Nazis. And even Cat Turd has turned on Elon Musk, and Elon Musk assisted Cat Turd himself. This was one of the first things that he did as chief twit but now cat turd is saying i admit when i'm wrong and i was 100 wrong about elon musk changing twitter the new twitter moderation council is just a bunch of far left fanatic groups who were never targeted here no average joes no real conservatives no one to represent the people actually targeted now federalist co-founder sean davis points out not a single conservative in the entire bunch i don't think that there are any conservative civil rights groups so that's probably why now someone responded to Sean Davis saying this, I think he, referencing Elon, is starting to worry about profitability and not ethics. Now, even though that last tweet was from a Twitter rando, I just had to point it out because, hmm, this idea that a billionaire is prioritizing profits over ethics. I mean, to me, that just sounds completely unlikely. I feel like billionaires, almost all of them, if not all of them, definitely prioritize ethics and people over profits. That's how they amass their wealth in the first place, by being very ethical people. So that person is definitely onto something. I'm being facetious, obviously. So as you can see, they're outraged. And that's just a small sample of the outrage and backlash to Elon Musk. Now, he did respond to the hate that he's getting from the left and the right. So he's going to respond to people on the right who don't like that he met with civil rights leaders and that Twitter will continue to combat hate and harassment. And he also is responding to people who reacted negatively to news that he would be charging people $8 per month for verification. So he says, to all complainers, please continue complaining, but it will cost $8. Now, he also shared this sad Bojack meme of people apparently willing to pay $8 for a Starbucks Frappuccino, but not $8 for Twitter verification. And he adds, being attacked by both right and left simultaneously is a good sign. That last tweet sounds like cope, if you ask me, because I think that he wasn't expecting the right to turn on him so quickly. The right wants results. The right wants people who were deplatformed to be reinstated. The right wants Donald Trump back. And Elon Musk isn't delivering, and he's probably not going to fundamentally change Twitter in the realm that they want him to change it with regard to hate speech and harassment. Because as he said himself, if it's a free-for-all, which it will not remain that way or will not be that way specifically, then you're gonna turn off advertisers. So he wants to make this a profitable platform. He sunk billions of dollars into this deal. So he wants to turn a profit, which is why he's trying to charge people $8. And he's, I, I guess, shocked and posting sad Wojak memes because people don't wanna pay $8 for verification, but they'll pay $8 for, for a Frappuccino. Yeah, but people aren't paying for verification currently. So unless you could substantially 
give us a good reason to pay money to you, then people just aren't going to do it. So I love how his response is, oh, well, you know, it's a good sign that I'm being attacked by the left and the right. Mm, for somebody like you who needs constant validation, I actually don't think that he's just secretly loving the fact that he's being attacked by the left and the right and that he feels as if this is proof that he's doing everything right. I think that he hates this. I think that he just wants to be loved. And the fact that the right is already turning on him after they made him a hero is deeply hurting his feelings, deeply hurting his feelings. So look, I find all of this hilarious. I admit that I definitely did not want Elon Musk to buy Twitter, and I still am not necessarily happy with him buying Twitter, but it's kind of paying off in the sense that this has been very, very entertaining. I haven't cared this much about Twitter in a very long time, and I've got to say, seeing the shit show, seeing him propose these terrible ideas to try to find some way to desperately make a profit, seeing the right him, the right wing turn on him, it may have made him buying Twitter all worthwhile in the end because I'm loving what I'm seeing so far. And I genuinely hope that the right continues to attack him because I love to see them eat their own. And especially after they boosted his ego so much to have him fall from grace this quickly. Oh, it's just, you love to see it. It's so great. So yeah, I will continue to watch and report on the shit show because this is good stuff here, folks. Happy Halloween, my friends. I hope that you all had a fantastic weekend. But before you get to trick-or-treating tonight, well, we've got some politics to talk about. And the first story of the day is the attempted assassination attempt on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Although we don't yet have a motive from the attacker, we do know that he was a far-right winger. He was a subscriber of QAnon, a Holocaust denier. He celebrated Kanye West's anti-Semitic remarks. So this is an individual who was very clearly looking to harm the Speaker of the House. But the response from the right is to essentially lie about his intent and also laugh and joke about it, even though Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, is currently in the ICU fighting for his life after suffering blunt force trauma to his head and body. And I'm not going to say that I'm surprised by the response from right wingers because they lie and conspiracy monger about everything. So why should this story be different? But the lengths that they're going, how low they're going is even surprising to someone like me who has zero faith in the right in the United States. Now, to be clear, they have to lie about this because this makes them look bad. Their rhetoric has become increasingly violent. They have become increasingly unhinged and fascistic. I'm talking about elected members of Congress, conspiracy mongering about everything, targeting marginalized groups, pretending as if there is this elitist cabal of child blood drinking psychopath Satanists who are controlling the levers of power. So, I mean, it's not surprising that you see one of their deranged followers do something like this, but because this makes them look bad, well, they're trying to lie and obfuscate. So we're gonna talk about the response from the right, but first, look at what Charlie Kirk had to say on his show this morning. Why is the Republican Party, why is the conservative movement to blame for gay schizophrenic nudists that are hemp jewelry makers breaking into somebody's home or maybe not breaking into somebody's home. Why are we to blame for that exactly? And why is he still in jail? Why has he not been bailed out? By the way, if some, if some amazing patriot out there in San Francisco or the Bay Area wants to really be a midterm hero, someone should go and bail this guy out. I bet his bail is like 30 or 40,000 bucks. Bail him out and then go ask him some questions. Hilarious. Isn't this story just so funny? Somebody was almost 
killed after an intruder broke into their house trying to assassinate one of the leaders of the opposition party. And it's just so funny. Somebody would be a patriot if they bailed this individual out and confirmed their conspiracy narrative. Now, first of all, he is being held without bail. And Charlie Kirk is questioning the official narrative there. And you saw him reference a conspiracy theory that was shared by Elon Musk, who is now the owner of Twitter. So he wrote this in a deleted response to Hillary Clinton, where he says there was a tiny possibility there might be more to this story than meets the eye. And he linked to an article that alleges that Paul Pelosi was assaulted after getting into a dispute with a male prostitute who he was believed to have engaged in intercourse with. Now, on top of that, Trump Jr. shared this picture of underwear and a hammer to Instagram saying, got my Paul Pelosi Halloween costume ready. Again, he's talking about an 82-year-old man who is in the ICU currently fighting for his life. I'm no fan of the Pelosi's. I've condemned Nancy Pelosi multiple times on this program. But I don't believe in doing political violence, whereas the right apparently does. Can you imagine if this happened to Donald Trump? If somebody broke into Trump's house and did something heinous like this, or broke into Marjorie Taylor Greene's house and did something like this, and the response from a leftist blogger or something was to share this joke, oh, hey, this is my Halloween costume, LOL, hilarious. Like the right would be justifiably upset because that's disgusting. But here they're just joking about it and within 24 hours concocting new conspiracy theories based on nothing. It just, just when you think that they can't get any lower, they surprise everyone. Now, David DePape, who was the individual who broke into the Pelosi home and attacked Paul Pelosi, is not a gay prostitute, nor was he the gay lover of Paul Pelosi. This individual, as I stated earlier, is a Holocaust-denying QAnon believer who's a far right-winger who grew increasingly unhinged over the course of the last couple of years. And this Los Angeles Times article breaks it down if you want to read more about him. But in a summary by Del Cameron of Gizmodo, he explains, Pelosi's attacker is a Trump supporter who watches Tim Pool, reads Ben Shapiro, and revels in Kanye's attack on the Jews. He's a Q adherent who believes white Americans are oppressed and under attack, a conspiracy mainstreamed by Fox News and YouTube. And he also reportedly yelled, where is Nancy Pelosi? Because he was trying to target her. And as the Associated Press and Law and Crime reports, he brought zip ties, presumably so he can hold them hostage once he found them. So this is somebody who has been radicalized by propagandists like Charlie Kirk, by Fox News. And now, because they don't want to take responsibility for their extremism, well, the easiest thing for them to do is lie and just laugh it off. See, it's funny because what happened, the official narrative isn't actually true. And really, this is just Paul Pelosi getting in a, a gay dispute with his gay prostitute lover. They will never take responsibility for their actions, ever. Now, as Ben Collins of NBC News reports, police say on the record that Paul Pelosi and his suspected attacker did not know each other prior to the attack. It was a break-in. This directly contradicts conspiracy theories pushed by and since deleted by Twitter owner Elon Musk. Now, the same people who are laughing about this assassination attempt of Nancy Pelosi are the same folks who were clutching their pearls over the summer when protesters were protesting outside of Supreme Court justices' homes. And do you remember when a guy turned himself in, claiming that he wanted to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh? 
how many conspiracy theories floated around on the left and from liberals? How many of them immediately tried to pretend as if, well, that was just the gay lover of Brett Kavanaugh. That was, you know, somebody who was a right winger. It was the Proud Boys. Nobody on the left or the center said that. Everybody denounced that because I think that logical people know that as insufferable as our political system is, seeing political violence and assassinations of political leaders isn't going to make things better. It's only going to further destabilize our country and hurt democracy. So everyone on the left condemned the assassination attempt or the man who turned himself in saying that he wanted to harm Brett Kavanaugh. But yet with the right, they can't bring themselves to do the bare minimum and just say, wow, this is bad. Perhaps we should all tone down the rhetoric. They're not even both sides in it. They're just lying and making up conspiracy theories about what happened. Now, again, the motive is not yet known, but given the details here, Occam's razor tells us that this man broke into their home after getting radicalized and he wanted to assassinate Nancy Pelosi, who was someone who the right has vilified for years now. Now, again, regardless of what they say, this is the direct result of right-wing rhetoric. And this is the direct result of their violent rhetoric in the same way that Trump's rhetoric about the 2020 election led to the January 6th insurrection. So I've said this once before on the show, I'll say it again. Bombastic explosive rhetoric oftentimes has violent consequences. The right knows this. They can no longer feign ignorance and just you know, oopsie daisy, didn't mean to, you know, radicalize someone to the point where they're literally trying to assassinate the opposition, but they're not even doing an oopsie daisy saying, oh, teehee, did we radicalize this person? They're straight up just saying, mm, nope, don't believe it's true. This was a gay love affair gone wrong, apparently. It's sick. It's gross, but it just goes to show you, this is the response for everything. If something makes them look bad, Rather than trying to grapple with the details and the facts, they just lie because that's what the right does in the United States. Are there any honest people on the right, not like elected officials, but just Republican voters who see this and they think, man, you know, I agree with them on policy, but perhaps the lies are a little bit too much. Of course not, because everyone is radicalized now. Because to be a Republican is to be somebody who lives in their own plane of existence, their own reality sculpted for them by right-wing media, by Donald Trump. So they're all in this weird cult mass delusion together and it's bringing down the country, but they just genuinely don't care. They will lie and joke about anything. But in the event this happened to them, as I stated earlier, they would be outraged and they would be right to be outraged. But the left would never lie about something like that. We base our worldview on facts and data and statistics and they base their worldviews on lies and conspiracy theories. And regardless of what they want to say, don't let them gaslight you. This is the result of their extremism. And unless we see facts that counter that claim, facts that counter their weird, uh, or, or confirm, I should say, their weird gay prostitute narrative, then this was just an assassination attempt on Speaker Pelosi obfuscating and lying doesn't change that fact and unless we have more details and a clear motive from the individual then i think it's logical to deduce that this person got radicalized and thought that he would be a right-wing hero by killing the speaker of the house period end of story it's that simple so republicans are gross and it go just goes to show you how far they've fallen not that they've ever really had any ethical or moral standards but like this just goes to show you 
that as Paul Pelosi is in the ICU, they're already joking about this and claiming that he had a dispute with a gay prostitute. They are genuinely unhinged and sick. And I don't know how we can go forward as a country with these types of people if they're willing to just brazenly lie and make things up like that. You just watched supporters of Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro react to his defeat by Lula da Silva. And I had to share that clip with you because it reminded me of this clip from our 2020 election. The parallels here are striking, but that's not the only similarity to our election. So much like Donald Trump, Jair Bolsonaro is reportedly coping hard. As Washington Post correspondent Vincent Bevins reports, after losing the election last night, Jair Bolsonaro apparently isolated himself in the presidential palace, refused to speak with ministers, and went to bed. Haven't heard from him since. Now, at the time that I record this video, we still haven't heard from Jair Bolsonaro. He hasn't broken his silence yet, although he is expected to address the election later on today. So perhaps by the time that you see this video, that will already have happened. Uh, the problem is that a lot of people are expecting him to declare fraud in the same way that Trump claimed that the 2020 election was rigged because Jair Bolsonaro has already been conspiracy mongering about the election and foreign allies to Bolsonaro like Steve Bannon are already claiming that the election was stolen and expecting this response. The White House put out a statement almost immediately after the election was called for Lula congratulating him, which as Ryan Grimm points out here is likely an effort to dissuade Brazilian elites from trying to stage a coup, which means that perhaps for the first time, the United United States is trying to prevent a right-wing coup in Latin America, which is mind-blowing to think about, but that's where we are. Bolsonaro is trying to replicate the style and tactics of Donald Trump, and as a result, it seems as if he may try to use the military to stay in power despite losing the election. Now, the election fraud claims are bogus, but that's not to say that there wasn't any shenanigans from this election. It's just that Bolsonaro, the person who was claiming fraud, is the individual who is trying to rig the election. As journalist Ben Norton reports, Bolsonaro's cronies were engaging in massive voter suppression campaigns across the country, particularly in pro-Lula strongholds, by using the military and police to block voters, slowing down public transportation, and as Common Dreams adds, the campaign of work Party PT challenger Luis Inacio Lula da Silva asked Brazil's Superior Electoral Court to subpoena Silvine Vasquez, Director General of the Federal Highway Police, amid videos, photos, and reports, especially in the Northeast, a PT stronghold of officers blocking highways and stopping buses transporting voters to polling places. On Saturday, Alexandre de Mores, who heads the TSC, banned PRF from conducting any operations related to public transport until after Sunday's election. However, according to 
PRF figures reviewed by the Brazilian report, routine vehicle searches soared by 80% Sunday compared with October 2nd, the date of the first round vote. Demora said Sunday that none of the voter bus surveillance operations, which according to PRF involved traffic code violations, prevented people from voting, although he said there were delays in getting to the polls. And that is a typical voter suppression tactic. You don't block people from voting, but you just slow it down, make it more of a chore, make more obstacles for them to overcome. So hopefully they will be dissuaded from voting and give up. But despite all of that, Lula da Silva still won. Now, it was close, mind you, but he won nonetheless, despite efforts to suppress the vote. He won by less than two points. And I think that that is important because it proves that a strong pro-worker populist can still defeat fascists. As I've been saying on this program for years now, the antidote to fascism is not corporate neoliberalism. It's not more capitalism. It's a strong pro-worker candidate who can address the economic concerns of the people who were radicalized by fascist demagogues in the first place. And now because of Lula da Silva's victory, well, the Amazon rainforest has a chance of surviving because he is pledging to end deforestation, which means this is a gigantic victory, not just for Brazil, but for the entire planet. And this is massive because Lula da Silva created a blueprint once again for countries everywhere to follow. The rise of fascism is not happening in a vacuum. There are reasons why this is happening. There are reasons why people and populations across the country are more susceptible to radicalization. And we have to stop fascism by having the antidote to fascism, which is a populist pro-worker leftist to respond, to fight back against these fascist populist demagogues who are rising up across the globe. So this is really just great news. And I know that Michael Brooks would be so happy about this because more than anyone, he elevated the importance of the worker party, particularly Lula da Silva's politics on his show. And he would be so happy to see this result. It's exactly what he uh, anticipated would happen. It was the strategy that he promoted to be pro-worker. And now, he was proven right, and I know he'd be happy to see this. So just some really good news. Although I've got to say, I'm still worried about Bolsonaro and whether or not he'll concede what he's going to do, possibly to try to stay in power. I hope that all of those concerns are invalid and he just concedes and steps down willingly. But odds are he's going to emulate Trump's strategy and try to stay in power despite losing the election, despite that being legal. So we'll just have to wait and see. Otherwise, this is a huge electoral victory for the global left, not just the Brazilian left. And it's really, really important that leaders across the world start taking the threat of fascism seriously and doing what Lula da Silva did to defeat fascism, because it proves you can still be victorious despite attempts to suppress the vote, despite lies and conspiracy theories. You can still win if you have a pro-worker party who is pledging to deliver for people. After 48 hours of silence, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro has still not conceded the election to Lula da Silva after he was defeated on Sunday. However, and this is really important, he is not going to contest the results 
of the election. The Guardian reports, Jair Bolsonaro has reportedly thrown in the towel after his presidential election defeat in Brazil on Sunday, telling members of the Supreme Court, quote, it's over. In an interview with the newspaper O Globo, Bolsonaro's vice president, Hamilton Morau, made it clear he accepted the defeat. Quote, there's no point in crying anymore. We lost the game, he said. Morau also signaled that he opposed the pro-Bolsonaro protests that have involved hardcore supporters blockading roads to demand a military uprising, bringing traffic chaos to cities, including Rio and Sao Paulo. Quote, there are 58 million people who are unhappy, Morau said of Bolsonaro's voters, but they agreed to take part in the game, so they now need to calm down. Now, the protests that he referenced have began to die down just a little bit as of today. So there are still 167 road blockades, but that number was 271 consistently for the last two days. So the fact that there are less now signals that I think that his supporters know that the military is not going to step in and perform a coup and keep him in power illegally. Now, I'm not necessarily sure why Bolsonaro is throwing in the towel. Perhaps he doesn't have the institutional support needed to actually pull off a coup that he thought. Perhaps he would do it if he could. But what matters is that he's not doing that. He's stepping down and he's not conceding. And look, he's going out like a giant piss baby. But I don't care. What matters is that he's stepping down. There's going to be a transfer of power, and he's accepting that. Donald Trump couldn't even do that. And Trump of the tropics now, as Jair Bolsonaro has been referred to, is doing what even Trump could not do. He's stepping down. Again, don't have to concede. You don't have to go nicely, and you can cry all you want. But the important thing is that democracy will survive in Brazil because he's choosing to not fight and not delegitimize democracy. If Trump did what Bolsonaro is doing now, the United States would be in a completely different situation. But we saw the ways that Trump's lies about the election hurt democracy. It just spiraled and it's had this ripple effect. And now there are hundreds of candidates literally across the country who are not only denying the 2020 election, but they're already conspiracy mongering about the 2022 elections because of Bolsonaro choosing to just go away and not fight this, not continue to spread lies about the election being stolen as he was kind of conspiracy mongering about during the election, well, perhaps Brazil won't be as bad as we are. So this honestly is shocking to me. I fully expected him to contest the election because he gave us every indication that that is indeed what he's going to do. And again, Perhaps he wanted to do that, but institutionally speaking, he just didn't have the support from uh, them or the military, which is most important if you want to pull off a coup. And so maybe he wanted to, maybe he would if he could. At this point, that's a distinction without a difference. As I stated, that doesn't matter. What matters is he's stepping down. And this is really huge for Brazil because as a country, they can go forward and actually try to create a democracy that functions, that is going to represent the people and not elites, not oil companies who are tearing down the Amazon rainforest. Now, Lula da Silva has pledged to end deforestation. And this is huge because understand the Amazon rainforest, it isn't just something that affects Brazil. This is referred to as the Earth's lungs and for good reason. Now, at the right time, the Brazilian people made the correct choice and it was close. But overall, they still voted for someone 
who's going to try to repair the country and save the planet, as opposed to someone who wants to continue to douse gasoline on the fire that is our planet. But, you know, that's not necessarily the end of Bolsonaro's journey here. He could still remain politically active. There's still a lot of members of his party who agree with what he says, who, you know, have this fascistic ideology, who are going to be in government in Brazil. So it's not over. Like, this isn't the end of Bolsonaro. But for now, it's the start of a new chapter. And that's really encouraging to see. So I'm very, very proud of the Brazilian people. And I wish them luck. Uh, I'm excited to watch what Lula does as president because this is somebody who historically has been very pro-worker oriented. And it's nice to see him perhaps craft a blueprint that other leaders around the globe can follow that isn't a blueprint of just fascism and neoliberalism. It's a blueprint of pro-worker, worker rights and human rights and dignity. Last week, if you watched my coverage of the debate between John Fetterman and Dr. Oz, you know that I was devastated because I didn't think it went particularly well for John Fetterman. And I just didn't expect viewers and voters to take into consideration the fact that he was recovering from a stroke. I just don't expect people to be that thoughtful. And I think that they're relatively cruel. So I kind of expected the worst and I braced for the worst. However, polls are confirming that that debate performance did not hurt John Fetterman. In fact, not much has really changed overall. Sure, his overall polling average has decreased, but a New York Times-Siena College poll found that he's still doing quite well. The Hill reports Democratic Pennsylvania Senate nominee John Fetterman is leading Republican Mehmet Oz by five points, according to a New York Times-Siena College poll published just more than a week before Election Day. About 49% of likely voters surveyed support Fetterman, while 44% back Oz. The results are similar to other polling showing leads the Democratic candidate has held over Oz for much of the campaign, including a six-point advantage in a survey last week. But the latest survey comes after Fetterman struggled on the stage during a debate against Oz last week. So I think that this proves that debates aren't as relevant as they used to be. Before, debates could make or break candidates. But nowadays, perhaps not so much. Um, now, in case you were curious, these are the other races that the same poll looked at. So in Arizona, Kelly is leading Masters 51 to 45. In Georgia, Warnock is leading Walker 49 to 46. And in Nevada, Masto and Lexald are tied. So overall, you know, these are all really, really close races, with the exception of the one from Arizona. It looks like that one, Masters, is doing pretty poorly. Uh, but these are all going to be close races. And yes, these are leads that we're seeing for Democrats. But keep in mind, these can still go either way, right? Now, I do want to pour a little bit of cold water over our optimism because there were two other polls, post-debate polls from the Fetterman-Oz uh, debate. And they actually showed that Oz was gaining on Fetterman. But apparently the methodology of these polls wasn't as broad as the uh, Siena College New York, New York Times poll. So the article will address this, the one from Newsweek, which we're going to read. But they essentially did not have a good representative sample of the voting demographics. And primarily younger voters were left out. And that's who Fetterman's key 
voting base of support is. So in an article from a couple of days ago before the New York Times poll was released, Newsweek explains polls conducted by coefficient and insider advantage carried out between October 26th and 28th show Oz could be opening up a lead over his Democrat rival with a celebrity doctor gathering an estimated 48% of the vote against Fetterman's 45%. A poll by WIC dated between October 26th and 27th gives Oz three additional percentage points, estimating he is now backed by 48% of voters compared to Fetterman's 46%. However, the insider advantage poll drew some criticism online with an expert saying the sample lacked a sufficient amount of voters under 40, a key base for Fetterman. Now, the expert who they're referencing is Tom Bonnier. He's the CEO of Target Smart, and this is what he says via Twitter. This is the first poll of the cycle that actually made me laugh out loud. The likely voter sample has voters under the age of 40 at 14%. There were 25% of the electorate in 2018 and 28 percent in 2020 this poll should be entirely ignored and i think that his critique here is valid there's no reason why anyone should expect the under 40 voting demographic to decrease in 2022 if the last two years they increased so that actually makes no sense and that sample is not representative and how unrepresentative it is you know Oz doesn't have that big of a lead. Now, having said that, though, uh, he also says that there's a possibility that the GOP is trying to create these outlier polls as a way to create media narratives. So that way, voters will be possibly, I don't know, disillusioned or dis uh, sad thinking that Fetterman's going to lose. So they think, what's the point and stay home? I don't necessarily think that it's that deep. I mean, these pollsters, they are real pollsters. In fact, 538 gives Insider a B and WIC has a provisional rating of A slash B. But when you look at pollsters like Siena College and New York Times, they have an A plus rating. So certainly I'm going to take what they say into consideration more so than these other uh, polls. Uh, but still, those polls did cause Fetterman's average to decrease, but by and large, the most accurate poll is showing that the debate didn't really change things. Now, even if it did change things, odds are it didn't change things as much as I had anticipated. But this race is still, it's a toss up in my opinion. And even if it is the case that you believe that Fetterman is poised to win, view it in your mind as a toss up and get out there and vote. Because if you get too complacent, if you think that the situation is hopeless, then it could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So what matters is the votes. Polls give us a little bit of a gauge as to where the electorate is at, but we know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt where the electorate is when they vote. And that is the most important thing. We're so close to the election that I don't think you should base your decision on whether or not to vote on what the polls say. Ignore the polls, look at them if you're just curious, but ultimately don't use the polls to determine whether or not you vote. I, I feel like this goes without saying, and most of my viewers probably know this, but either way, it seems like not all hope is lost after that debate, and Fetterman is still in this race, and he's in a, in a great spot to win. So maybe voters, after all, aren't that cruel, and they do take into consideration whether or not somebody suffered from a stroke. So that makes me feel a little bit of... I don't want to say like hopium, but it maybe changes my perspective of voters because I have kind of viewed a lot of Americans as, I mean, I hate to say it, 
easily duped by right-wing propaganda. So if they make it seem as if, you know, Fetterman is just completely far gone and this is a cognitive issue and he's not fit to serve, perhaps they would buy that, but apparently not, which I think is cause for celebration. So either way, Fetterman's not out. If you live in Pennsylvania, vote for Fetterman. The Hill published an interesting story about insiders within the Republican Party, not necessarily Trump insiders per se, but GOP strategists and operatives who are absolutely expecting Donald Trump to be indicted, and they're expecting that indictment to come very soon after the election. The Hill reports Republican aides and strategists privately expect Attorney General Merrick Garland to pursue an indictment of former President Trump within 60 to 90 days after Election Day, predicting the window for prosecuting Trump will close once the 2024 presidential campaign gains momentum. Republican aides on Capitol Hill and veteran party strategists emphasize that they don't have any inside information on what Garland might do, but they say the attorney general is under heavy pressure from Democrats to act and the deadline for pursuing an indictment is fast approaching. Now, for the most part, I agree with them that if an indictment is going to come, it needs to come soon because Trump is about to announce his presidential campaign. Um, however, I'm not necessarily as certain as they are that an indictment is a foregone conclusion. I genuinely don't know. I'm at like 50-50. I can't tell you whether or not he will be indicted. Should he be indicted? Yes, he should be in prison for the rest of his life. But... Will that lead to an indictment? I genuinely don't know, and I'm not going to try to make a prediction. However, they're fairly confident, without any insider knowledge, mind you, that this indictment is coming. But what's really interesting about this story is that they're not only predicting an indictment, they're expecting it to be good for Donald Trump. Now, here's what they say about the indictment and how they believe it could be beneficial politically. The article continues, a couple of weeks after the election, I assume that Garland will indict Trump, said one veteran Republican aide expressing a sentiment shared by several other GOP aides and strategists. A second Republican aide warned an indictment could actually end up helping the former president politically. People have been talking about splintering support and dampening enthusiasm among Republican voters for him. An indictment could actually galvanize and reunify Republicans around him, the aide said, predicting the Republican backlash to an indictment would be stronger if Garland brings an indictment later in the 2024 election cycle. There's a substantial risk in waiting, the source added. Republican aides and strategists point out the party base quickly rallied behind Trump after the FBI raided his Mar-a-Lago estate in early August. I think that there is probably some truth to that. I think that seeing trump get indicted we're going to see the inevitable narrative that this is a political witch hunt and biden is weaponizing the justice department and i think that's going to be persuasive to all portions of the gop's base the anti-trump republicans the trump republicans not that there's like a huge swath of anti-trump voters still left in the gop but i think that a lot of them whether or not they're rooting for desantis or someone else or trump they're going to find that persuasive and I think that as a result, finding that narrative persuasive might lead to increased sympathy for Donald Trump. But again, I think that timing is, timing is going to really determine everything, because in the event this indictment comes later, perhaps during a GOP primary, well, then individuals like DeSantis could use that against Donald Trump and make an electability argument and claim, well, he's under investigation, he's being indicted, perhaps he's not the best person to go up against Biden or whoever the Democrats choose. I think that that 
argument of, hey, he's not electable because he's indicted would certainly resonate with Democratic Party voters, but would it resonate with Republican Party voters? I don't necessarily think so. Perhaps some of them, but not enough to defeat Donald Trump. So to a large part, I agree with what these GOP strategists are saying. I'm not as convinced that the indictment is coming very soon as they are. But in terms of this helping Donald Trump, it's very, very possible. And they have an interesting argument because, again, we're talking about a group of voters who are completely brainwashed by right wing media and propaganda. So they will believe anything. So is it that out of the question to think that they'd believe this, that Trump is the target of a witch hunt? No, I think it's very likely that they believe that narrative and they fall for it hook, line and sinker. So whether or not this helps Trump, though, I don't think that should weigh on whether or not he is indicted, even if it benefits him politically. I mean, there's massive evidence showing that he committed a plethora of crimes. So this decision as to whether or not he should be indicted shouldn't be a political decision. It should be a legal decision. And so I don't want uh, Merrick Garland to think, well, this might help him, so I'm not going to indict him. You just have to follow the evidence and then make a decision based on that. Whether or not this benefits him politically is a different story entirely. I think it could actually help him. But either way, I think that everyone can agree that this is going to be a shit show. If he does get indicted, then there's going to be a meltdown and lots of cons conspiracies from the right. If he doesn't get indicted, then those of us who want him to be indicted because he should be indicted, well, we just have further evidence that the system is broken and it doesn't work. And elites can commit crimes with impunity and they're never held accountable. So either way, it's going to get ugly and the 2024 election is going to be a train wreck. I, I just honestly am not ready for it. It's going to be a disaster, you know, putting aside the indictment stuff. There's going to be claims of election fraud, regardless if Trump wins the election or not. It's going to be ugly and nasty, and I'm just dreading it. I'm just dreading it. I'm dreading the 2022 election, which is like a couple of weeks away, because we already know there's going to be a bunch of mini stop the steal shit shows happening across the country. So I'm just I'm not mentally prepared for what the right is going to do to our democracy but either way it's happening and we all better buckle up because it's going to get ugly fast so whether or not trump is indicted again i don't know but i think that there's probably some truth to what these strategists are saying about the gop base kind of uniting around donald trump if they view him as a sympathetic figure who's the target of a political witch hunt i think that's probably going to be what happens ultimately if i'm being honest so yeah. Kaylee, I don't think these kids need cats. I think they need discipline. I think they need a slap yep. in the face. You just got a small taste of one of the most unhinged segments on Fox News that I've ever seen. And listen, folks, I've talked about Fox News a lot on this channel. It takes a lot to get me to be genuinely surprised by the things that they say. But in this particular Fox News outnumbered show segment, the way that they get irrationally triggered by the mention of college students is just astounding to me. So this is what they were reacting to. It's a headline from Fox News about a study which reads, Cats at college? Highly emotional students may benefit from felines on campus. Study. They add, interventions with cats on campus may help stressed students study fines. 
So the study essentially finds that cats and petting cats can be soothing for stressed out students during stressful times. For example, midterms, final exams. But Fox News is not okay with that. And they're going to make it very clear based on generalizations, made up things, and just stupidity that if you need a cat to get through college, well, you should just drop out. Also, you're a beta. Now, the host is going to open this segment by using one of the most condescending, patronizing tones I've ever heard from a human being. And I've got to say, this is one of the most insufferable hosts I've ever seen on Fox News. So it's four minutes. I'm going to play it all. And then I have a lot to say when we come back. Enjoy. College students have it so rough these days, from climate anxiety to just the idea of a conservative speaker on campus. It is all so stressful. Well, now, thankfully, a new study has found that interventions with cats on campuses may help these stressed out students. I guess the taxpayers picking up their student loan tab wasn't enough, Julie. <laughs> I love cats. I just want to say that. And they are comforting. But I mean, quite frankly, if you're in college and you need a cat, but yet you have the anxiety level of a protester where you're out there protesting about everything on campus, then I don't know if you really need a cat. I, I'm not really sure. But this is just another example of how uh, we are raising snowflakes. <laughs> because I mean, if you honestly can't make it in college, then just drop out. I mean, well, although I know a lot of people want to take advantage of the freebies, but just drop out anyway. Do us all a favor. I don't think animal rights activists would be too proud of this either. I wouldn't want any college student manhandling my cat. <laughs> but Kaylee, I don't think these kids need cats. I think they need discipline. I think they need a slap yep. in the face because these are the same oh kids that get a professor fired for being too hard on their way to medical Great school. Point. These are kids that can't even listen to a conservative viewpoint. They shout out speakers. They chase them off campus. But a cat will make everything better. Guess what? That doesn't work in the real world. Yeah, you're talking about my, my professor that I love so much back at NYU. Yes. Okay. No, I remember uh, on one of my campuses getting a note that there would be dogs and puppies for us uh, to soothe us during exam time. And I thought, is this real? I mean, no. What a distraction for kids who don't want to study. Number one. Number two, I don't need to be coddling a puppy. I need my, you know, organic chemistry book if I'm, you know, in, in pre-med here. This is insanity. Give me a cup of coffee, a cookie, and a stack of books, mm -hmm. and I'm set. I don't need a puppy in my lap to study for exams. That's right. But they're also getting free tuition, too. So the list is endless of what these kids kids are getting with our tax dollars. Uh, it is, and it's also part of the indoctrination. I mean, they are being trained. You might go in there thinking, I've got to get my philosophy book. i got to get, you know, the chemistry book. And then you're told effectively by this, the university, no, you need a puppy. This, <laughs> right. is, this is what you need. You need it. I mean, cats, I'm not so sure. Cats could walk away from you, which is even more traumatic when they don't come when they're called. But so, you know, I was on Wall Street walking my dog, my colleague, Shepard Mix, who's since passed away, named Sydney. And there were students at Wall Street near uh, the stock market. And they all ran at us, and Sydney loved it. But they said, we're, we're studying, we're in the midst of finals. And I said, I said, well, instead of hugging my dog, you should go back to studying. Amen. <laughs> and this, this is because it's the training for the real world. No one's going to hand you a puppy in the real world. And I think that's one of the most important lessons, right? Yep, 100%. <laughs> Nuts. I was hoping for a puppy on the couch, maybe a cat. Okay, these kids are the problem. I mean, all joking aside, they're the problem. If you need a cat or you need a puppy, you don't belong in college. By the way, which was harder, con law or orgo? I mean, yeah, 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 I, I didn't take organic chem. I took con law and oh, I loved okay. it. Yeah, yeah con law so. was great. Big red book. 
these this is an idea of building a society of betas. All right. We've achieved because we're a society of people who look forward, who are entrepreneurs, who go out and find something. Uh, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, all these innovators out there, Bill Gates, home, they founded something in a garage instead of petting a cat. They programmed a keyboard. Maybe somebody started a manufacturing plant with an idea. Come on. These kids are not the problem. By the way, how do you take care of the cats? How do you take care of the dogs? Where's PETA? And why are you going to hurt the cats and the dogs by putting bad kids who can't get around life on top of them? Come on. Really? <laughs> well, I'm sure the cats are protests from all the kids with allergies. So just mm. wait for the backlash. That yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. The other side of the snowflakes that can't handle it. All right. We're outnumbered in just a moment. I don't even know where to begin. Just that right there was brain damage. Every single host right there has brain damage. I just don't understand why you react that way. <laughs> like when I see this study, I feel nothing but ambivalence. I just, I don't care. I couldn't care less about whether or not cats are soothing to college students. I think that college is an inherently stressful period in one's life. So if petting a cat helps get you through that, there's nothing wrong with that. But other people, you know, they find other things to be soothing, perhaps a cup of coffee and a cookie, as Kaylee McEnany alluded to. But apparently that as like a coping mechanism for stressful times is fine. But cats, that's just like beyond the pale. I just, I don't, get it i genuinely don't understand it college is a stressful time as much as they want to downplay that and i'd argue that if you're not stressed out by college then you're not taking it serious but they claim that if you are stressed out by college and you need a cat to help you through stressful times as you know a form of coping and soothing then that just means you should i guess drop out this is just wild to me so the man at the end there said that they're betas and he implied, he implied that this is going to lead to students not wanting to become entrepreneurs because they'll be so caught up uh, by cats and so enamored by cats and they'll pet cats so much that they'll do that in lieu of having like careers. So you see, Bill Gates and Elon Musk, they're successful currently because they didn't pet cats <laughs> ever because the sight of one cat and just petting one cat, it's going to hypnotize you and then you're done. You're just going to want to do that for the rest of your life. Folks, these are adults. These are actual grown-ups having this conversation. This was this is one of the dumbest conversations I've ever heard. Also, the guy said Where's PETA and why are you going to hurt the cats and the dogs by putting them with bad kids? Okay, so he starts his argument. <laughs> this is so fucking stupid. He starts his argument by saying, well, they're so enamored by the cats because they love them so much that they're never going to do anything else with their lives. And then he says, oh, now they want to hurt the cats. Bitch, nobody's talking about hurting the fucking cats. Like it's all about petting cats because they like cats because the cats help them to relieve stress. I just, they're jumping to so many fucking conclusions. It's insane to me. Now, going back to the beginning of that clip, this condescending asshole starts by saying college students have it so rough these days from climate anxiety to just the idea that conservatives uh, speak on campus. OK, if you're not actually anxious about the climate, then I'd argue that you are a stupid person because you can see around you the way that the weather patterns have gotten more extreme, how 
ice caps are melting. So that is stressful. That is an added layer of stress that younger generations have to deal with that older generations did not have to deal with. Sure, there were environmental issues when older generations went to college, but now we're reaching what appears to be the end point of humanity because late stage capitalism has led to the commodification of our environment and we are allowing private corporations to destroy the planet also they can make short-term profits i think that if that doesn't stress you out then i just i'd imagine that you're the real psychopath in this instance but they think that if you're stressed out during college which is perfectly normal you're like unworthy or something it's so bizarre to me so bizarre to me at my college they did have dogs in one of the midterms for like soothing you could pet the dogs i didn't attend it because it was happening like after i had classes and i didn't want to go back to campus for that um but college is stressful look i was very stressed out as a college student i had to work full time i worked two different jobs um and i not to toot my own horn graduated with honors but I was stressed out. Does that inherently mean that I was a bad student? No, because college is stressful. And even if you weren't going to college around that time in your life, early 20s, uh, you know, after graduating high school, it's still a very stressful time in your life when you transition from adolescence to adulthood. So it's just normal to be stressed out, but they make these kids seem as if they're uh, invalid or defective if they're stressed out from college. I mean, were you all not stressed out in college? It just it just doesn't make sense to me. Also, um, they just made a bunch of things up. Oh, the taxpayers are picking up the student loan tabs, and that wasn't enough. Also, tuition is free. Hey, did you all hear that tuition is free? The dumbass dingbat Fox News host claimed that tuition is free, but um, I didn't get the memo, did you? Now, what she's referring to is student debt cancellation. I don't know if that host had a problem paying for PPP loans, and those that were forgiven but college students got a fraction of their student debt forgiven i think that canceling 10 to twenty thousand dollars worth of student debt for younger generations and anyone who's affected by student debt is the bare minimum that the government can do for people because previous generations boomers they were able to put themselves through school by working at taco bell and they weren't burdened by debt they were able to support themselves and a family but nowadays you can work multiple jobs and try to do everything in your power to be responsible and still graduate with debt. But if you don't put yourself through college and acquire said debt, well, it's gonna be more difficult for you in your future to find a good paying job. So it's almost a requirement to have a college degree to get a good paying job because that is the equivalent of a high school diploma in 2022 America. But they make it seem as if like people are just going to college um, because it's free, so why not? And there's all this cool free stuff in college. Lady, have you ever been to college? Now, this same lady, who I think is the dumbest person on the panel, she said that, um, I don't think that these students need a cat. I think they need discipline. I think they need a slap in the face because they're the same students who get their professor fired for being too hard on their way to medical school. I mean, you just made that up. First of all, do you have any evidence that the students in this particular study are the exact same students that got their medical professors fired if the professor was too hard? I, I mean, I know that that's not what she's saying, so I'm being facetious here, but she's literally just making that up. Do you understand? She literally said, I think they need a slap in the face. I mean, why do you hate college students so much? I, it genuinely doesn't make sense. I don't think that I hate Fox News hosts as much as these Fox News hosts hate college students because I just can't muster up the shit to give about these fuckers. 
But the way that they're just apoplectic at the mention of college students is genuinely bizarre to me. Um, another one said, I don't think animal rights activists would be too proud of this either. Uh, I wouldn't want any college student manhandling my cat. So another person on this panel was implying that these students are going to be like, I guess, violent with the cats. Like, we're going to manhandle it. You're going to pick it up like a pizza and fucking twist it and throw it up in the air. They're going to pet the cats. I, I mean, I just, again, I genuinely don't understand. Like, I, I feel like they're being purposefully obtuse just to shit on college students in any way they possibly can. But in doing so, they make themselves look like idiots because of how hyperbolic and absurd they're being in their analogies and their statements. And then the lady who was walking her dog on Wall Street, she said that the puppies, this is all part of the indoctrination. Smart, okay? See, you go to college, a conservative and a Christian, and then you see the puppies, and immediately you start to question the existence of God. You begin to question, question the, <laughs> the wisdom of Friedman and trickle-down economics. I mean, I, I, I try to be as charitable as I can be in these videos, but what we just saw there was genuine stupidity. Like we saw actual stupid people make stupid comments. And I feel like if you can take this segment and put it in a time capsule and show it to society a hundred years from now, assuming we survive catastrophic climate change, they're going to be so perplexed by the political discourse in 2022 America that they won't believe it. They'll think that this was a parody from a satirical movie. That's how insane this is. So, I mean, this is Fox News. This is the discourse that you get in response to a study confirming the obvious that cats can be soothing, they can relieve stress because obviously they're amazing during college times. Well, that's just evidence that college students, all of them, by the way, are pieces of shit. And maybe they should just drop out if you need a cat to relieve stress. Look, I don't think that the article says that students need a cat, just that a cat can be soothing during stressful times in the same way that pot or a video game can be soothing. I feel like this isn't that revolutionary of a finding. In fact, the study I'd argue was probably pretty pointless because I could have told you that without the evidence. It's just kind of a, yeah, obviously thing. But either way, this sent Fox hosts into an unhinged frenzy. And I feel like they, they need to be embarrassed. Like people need to let them know how embarrassed they should be about that because what they just said there was stupid. And if they had any dignity, they would all quit their jobs at Fox News and never show their faces again. That's how bad this segment was. I mean, these people, holy shit, their brains are completely rotten. If you look closely, you can probably see brain goo dripping out of their ears. Like, that's how fucking stupid these dolts are. Holy shit. A couple of weeks ago, Joe Rogan said this on his podcast. Well, my friend, his wife, is a school teacher. And... She works at a school that had to install a litter box in the girls' room because there is a girl who's a furry oh who identifies goodness. as an animal. Now, at the time that he made that claim, this hoax had already been debunked again and again and again. However, he had inside knowledge because his friend has a wife who works at the school. Therefore, perhaps this isn't just a hoax. Perhaps there's some real legs to this story. Except he's going to admit in a podcast episode with Michael Sherman, who's an author, that there was zero evidence for that hoax that he spread on his podcast to millions and millions of listeners. 
Let's watch. Right, or the kitty litter boxes in schools from last week. You know, that got spread around as a meme because it kind of fit the conservative view of, you know, liberals and their confusion about gender and sex and... and, and but the and, kitty litter boxes is a weird one. It is weird. It's, you like, know, it's more I, like an urban legend. I fed into that, and let me... I should probably clarify that a little bit. I have a friend, and my friend's wife is a school teacher, and she told him that there was discussions in the school that a mother wanted to put a litter box in one of the bathrooms. And he told me this, and I talked about it on here, and then people were saying, that's not true, it's an internet rumor. So I contacted him again, and I said, tell me exactly what she said, and contact her and find out. She no longer works at that school, she works for another school. Mm. She contacted the other school, she didn't get a response. I don't think they actually did it. I think there was discussions mm. about doing it, because there was one particularly wacky mother but there is, it doesn't seem that there's any proof that they put a litter box in there. The reason why I was interested in it and willing to entertain it was there was about uh, 10 years or so ago, we went to, uh, there was a UFC in Pittsburgh. And when we went there, as we landed, we were driving from the airport to the hotel. We see all these people with mascot outfits on. We're like, what is going on? <laughs> And we talked to this guy, and he said, there's a furry convention in town. Oh, right. And I said, wow, this is crazy. So they all decided to get together. So they were at bars and on the streets, and it was like a get-together. They used to do it in San Diego, but at the time, San Diego was a little bit more conservative, and they were having a hard time doing it, so they moved it to Pittsburgh. And this was the year they moved it to Pittsburgh. Mm. This is according to him. So we check into the hotel. The hotel, uh, the guy who was working the front desk was saying how crazy it was. And these folks were asking for their food to be delivered in bowls on the ground so they could eat it like animals. And I'm like, that is crazy. And then he said, they asked for a litter box in the lobby. Now, they didn't put a litter box into the lobby, but someone, according to this man, asked him for a litter box. Mm. I'm like, that is crazy. So I went and did a deep dive online. I went to forums where furries go, because I was trying to find, like, is this a thing? Do they mm -hmm. like to use litter boxes? Out of all of my searching, I could only find one poster, one guy who said he had used a litter box. Mm. So this one person who was saying that he thought it was kinky and he liked to use it, he, they, it, them, whatever, liked to use a litter box. Mm. So that was all I could find. So is that something that people do, or is it something that people talk about doing because it's fun? I don't know. But one of the things that I found about these furries is, like, it's sexual in mm. some sort of weird way. They, they, they like to get together and have sex with their furry outfits on, mm. and they don't want people to know who they are or what they They want to keep the outfits on. So it's a cosplay kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a cosplay kink thing oh, yeah. that some people yeah. engage in. Like, yeah. How that got connected to gender, I do not understand. It got connected to gender by right-wing propagandists who want to fearmonger about the existence of trans people. Because if you think that being trans is bad and that it's going to lead to people identifying as kooky things like an attack helicopter as the joke goes well then it also logically follows that this craziness will lead to other craziness and soon students who identify as cats will have litter boxes in classrooms as these woke schools try to accommodate them i mean it's the same fear-mongering and hysteria that we saw over a gay marriage Oh, well, what's next? If a man can marry a man, can I marry a dog? 
Can somebody marry a toaster? We're seeing the same thing. Well, if I can identify as a woman when I'm a man, can I identify as an Apache attack helicopter or a cat? I mean, it's crazy that we're seeing the same line of argumentation against trans people as we just saw against gay people, even right down to the ex-gays. Remember that? Where, oh, well, see, it's a choice and gay people shouldn't have rights because ex-gays prove that it's a choice. And we even have detransitioners, which I guess disproves the legitimacy of gender dysphoria and the existence of trans people. It's just it's the same line of logic and the rubes are falling for it again it's so frustrating to me so i'm glad that he admitted there that this story was bullshit i just wish that he would have done what he did after he spread it first right so he called up his friend perhaps after he got pushback to have him have his wife verify she heard nothing back and he essentially fact-checked this story why didn't you do that before you spread this hoax to millions of your listeners, Joe Rogan. And furthermore, if Michael Sherman hadn't brought that up, would Joe Rogan have even admitted that that was wrong? I mean, does he even feel guilty or responsible about the things that he says? I mean, on my program, if I make a small error, I feel like I have to correct it immediately. If I catch it during editing, I re-record. If I say something incorrect, I'll pin a comment to the top of my video, just making sure that people know I'm trying to be as accurate as possible. But Joe Rogan, he seemingly just doesn't care because he doesn't learn. That's the problem. If he made a mistake, then that's fine. We're all humans, we all make mistakes. But we learn from those mistakes and he just doesn't learn. He continues to follow for these dumbass stories again and again and again. And what he says, it reverberates around the country. He's not just bullshitting with his friends anymore, as much as that's what he wants his podcast formula to be. He is speaking to millions of people. So when you come up with this bullshit theory about students shitting in litter boxes in schools, you have to fact check it before you say it, especially if something like that on its face is pretty stupid. I, I feel like you have to be dumb to not hear that story and immediately think, hmm, that's a little bit weird. Sounds a little bit sus. Like, if you don't even have a little bit of skepticism in you, your bullshit detector is broken, my friends. It's broken. And he speculates that his friend's wife could have heard about this through just one wacky mother who wanted a litter box in the school for her furry-identified kid. But that wacky mother, I'm guessing, is the original mother who spread this conspiracy theory in the first place because she heard that they were putting uh, litter boxes in bathrooms to accommodate furry identified students. So it's just really frustrating that this has been a hoax that has spread again and again and again. And after months, there hasn't been a single shred of evidence produced by anyone who continues to propagate this hoax. And this isn't just one of those goofy stories where people are bringing it up and you know the result is they laugh about this. This is something that Republicans are basing their campaigns off of. They're campaigning on this, and they're trying to throw trans people under, uh, under the bus, showing to everyone, see, this is what happens when you accept trans people. For example, look at how Republican Senate candidate Don Bolduc responded when a reporter confronted him about this lie that he's been spreading as well. As you're going to see, he refuses to back down despite not having any evidence. I made it a recent event about children using litter boxes in schools. You know, there's, there's no, no that's not what I said. Okay, well then tell me what you right. said. I, I heard the audio. So what, yeah, so uh, what I was talking about is all the craziness going on in our schools. 
and this is just one of them. And I had a, I had a parent and a student in that audience who came up to me and told me all about it. I've had that all across the state. So I'm only articulating what I heard from Granite Staters, parents and children. Craziness is going on in our schools. Senator Hassan is responsible for it. She's doubled down on all the bad education policies out there. So you should be asking her why our children can't read and write to grade level, why we have the lowest scores, why we can't compete in the world, why our children require remedial courses to go to college. It's because she has took her eye off the ball on the future of our nation, and that's our children so and grandchildren. You had a parent tell you yes, that this parent happening and in the student okay. happening in the schools. Now, yes. The schools come out and said that that's completely false. Well, you know, they they came out and said they didn't mask children. They came out and said they didn't do a lot of things, right? They don't teach CRT, which they do. They don't teach transgender, which they do. I'm not backing down, okay? You got the wrong guy. Just because they say it, they need to prove it. Prove it. I got parents and and kids telling me they need to prove it to us. We don't, I don't need to prove it to them. Okay, that's not how that works. You're asking the school to prove a negative when the burden of proof is on you. You're the one who's making the claim. You're the individual who has to supply us with evidence to prove the claim that you're making. But the evidence that he has is that somebody said that uh, they heard that this was happening. So he heard it from somebody who heard it from somewhere else. How many of you want to guess that the person he's referring to heard this from Joe Rogan? I mean, he has the biggest platform, so it's not unreasonable to think that Joe Rogan is where they got this information from. Although to be fair to Joe Rogan, this myth has been circulating now for almost a year, and it's come from a plethora of politicians as well high-profile figures like Marjorie Taylor Greene, so maybe not Joe Rogan, but I think that he just amplified this to a level that it hadn't been amplified before. Now, what's interesting is that Don Bolduc there, he was endorsed by Tulsi Gabbard, who was on Joe Rogan's podcast when he originally made this hoax claim. So, all these people, they shit in the same circles. They shit in the same litter boxes, if you will, and it's just frustrating that a myth so idiotic has so much steam. Something this unbelievable has got to at least get your bullshit detector up a little bit if you have any common sense. But in America, people just accept information at face value and they don't question it. They don't even try to think about it logically. They just assume that it's correct because they heard it from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone else. I mean, Jesus Christ, we can't actually have a functioning society if people are this gullible, if people will believe anything without a shred of evidence. Do you not think that the students would be spreading pictures of litter boxes if their peers were shitting in them in bathrooms? I mean, and I love how there's this myth that's circulating as if the students would be cool about this because they've been indoctrinated by uh, the woke teachers. Students, especially high schoolers, would be laughing at this. They'd be sharing photographs of this. There would be evidence if this were happening. But the fact that there hasn't been a single shred of evidence produced shows you how stupid this myth is. But yet people keep spreading it. And so, look, I I'm glad that Joe Rogan is finally admitting that he spread this hoax to his podcast of 11 million listeners, but maybe do the verification and fact-checking before you say something next time, Joe Rogan. Believe it or not, the midterm elections are less than one week away. Now, all that the GOP needs to do is win back 
five seats and they retake control of the House of Representatives. Now, in the event this election were taking place over the summer after Americans were collectively outraged about the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, momentum would have been in the Democratic Party's favor. But time has passed, and considering that the memory of the average American is comparable to a goldfish, well, the outrage has died down, and now the propaganda has set in, and the momentum has shifted back in the GOP's favor. So there's a lot of different races where they could pick up those five seats, I think, pretty easily. One of them that I did not consider was Katie Porter's seat. Now, Cook Political Report has considered her seat as lean Democrat, but as of late, that has since shifted, and they're now considering her race a toss-up, which is really troubling because Katie Porter is, I think, one of the most effective communicators for the Democratic Party. So if they lose her, I think that would be catastrophic. So Business Insider explains the Cook Political Report on Tuesday released a new analysis that moved California's 47th congressional district from a lean Democratic rating to a toss up showing signs that Porter might not cruise to reelection. Porter currently represents the 45th congressional district in a longtime Republican stronghold that she flipped blue in 2018. The area was redistricted after the 2020 cycle to the 47th Congressional District, which covers a large swath of Orange County, an affluent area that includes Irvine, where Porter resides, along with the coastal cities of Huntington Beach, Laguna Beach, and Newport Beach. So what she already managed to accomplish back in 2018 when she flipped that seat was very, very impressive. But the district has changed a little bit because of redistricting. And now they're calling this a toss up, not necessarily because she's losing, but because the popular vote margin that they predicted for her has decreased. So it went from about 54%, this is an estimate, uh, down to 52.7%. So she's very close with her Republican opponent, Scott Baugh. Now, considering the ways in which she picked up momentum over the years, I feel not as doomer about this particular race because back in 2018, she won by three points. And in 2020, she actually increased her lead in that district uh, and she won by seven points. So it's not like it's a foregone conclusion that Katie Porter is going to lose. But given how close it is, it's a little bit too close for comfort. Uh, comfort, And I think that the Democratic Party apparatus needs to invest money at the last minute to make sure that they protect this seat because losing her would be catastrophic, I think, for the party. And I have my policy disagreements with Katie Porter. I don't think that she's the perfect candidate. But in terms of being able to explain eloquently the issues affecting the American people and how this economy screws over working class people, I think that she's an asset to the party without question. So to kind of demonstrate that, I want to play an interview that she had with Chris Hayes recently, where she explains why inflation is happening. It's largely due to corporate greed. Let's watch. Well, so this inflationary period is different, and that's what the study shows, that's what the research shows that I was talking about in the hearing that you just played. 54 cents of every extra dollar that we are being asked to pay is going to corporate profits, and here's why. Because the market power of these big corporations has grown. As small businesses, medium-sized businesses have been gobbled up by larger businesses, squeezed out by the pandemic, unable to deal with their supply chain issues, the 
largest corporations bankrolled by Wall Street have gotten more and more powerful. So what we find is that the, the biggest price gouging goes on in the very industries where there are the biggest players. Things like big oil, where we only have a handful of companies that dominate the market and control the supply. And in fact, as far as I can tell, and I've seen some of this on some of the business networks and in the business press, when speaking to investors, some of the, the CEOs of these entities are, are quite frank about this. They, they use the term sometimes pricing power to describe why they're able to now in this environment extract more profits. No, absolutely. And let's be clear about what pricing power feels like to the mom like me in the grocery store. It feels like getting ripped off by Wall Street because that's exactly what's happening. And the American people understand this. They understand that they're being asked to pay more for, in some cases, less product. And it's unfair and it's wrong. It's an economy that is centered on Wall Street rather than being centered on workers. And Republicans have made very clear that if they win back this Congress, the very face that first thing they're going to do is give Wall Street an even bigger handout in the form of corporate tax cuts. That's the wrong direction. What we need to be doing is focusing on increasing competition, which helps consumers pay fair prices. Yeah, I want to go back to those three categories because I think it, it makes sense for folks intuitively to break it down, right? So if, a, if you go in and a box of cereal costs two bucks more than you're used to paying, right? The, 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 the reason could be, hey, look, our, we have to pay our workers more. So our labor costs have gone up. Or it could be um, the ingredients in this box of cereal as well as the shipping costs have gone up, and we need to pass that on to you, the consumer. And I think people both understand and kind of abide those two. The third category is we can just get away with charging two bucks extra, and it's good for our shareholders. And the contention here is that it's really the latter category. No, absolutely. And look, early in the pandemic, I think consumers understood that there had been exactly. disruption yeah. to things like supply chains. There had been disruption to workers and it was it was challenging to get labor. But I think what they see now is that Wall Street's greed is insatiable and they will continue to charge consumers and take advantage of them until we elect policymakers who will stand up to corporate power. And that's exactly what I'm willing to do. I don't take corporate PAC money. I don't take lobbyists. I don't work for Wall Street. I work for the families that I represent. And that means I want an economy that works for them. And to do that, we have to have policymakers who are on the right side of this, sh this issue. So she makes it abundantly clear within a matter of minutes that the thing that is hurting Americans, what's driving inflation is corporate greed and reining in corporate power, going after them, that is going to be the key to delivering for working class Americans. This is not only a factual argument based on data, but it's a populist argument because she is taking on corporations, which I don't know if you've checked lately, lots of Americans aren't necessarily too happy with them. So I feel like this is a winning message. So in the event, her populist economic message loses to some GOP message virtue signaling about CRT and drag shows, then I will have no faith in the American people, at least in that district, because this is what Americans presumably want to hear. There was a poll that came out that showed that seven out of 10 Republicans care more about a strong economy than a functioning democracy. So here is a Democrat who has a populist message who's saying, I know exactly what to do to stop inflation, to put more money in your pocket. We're going to go after these large multinational corporations that are literally just price gouging you to increase shareholder value.
So if that doesn't resonate with with voters, then genuinely, I don't know what will. Now, it's a little bit more complicated than just the messages of these candidates. A lot of it has to do with momentum, right? If a lot of these GOP voters were previously demoralized because Katie Porter was pretty strong, but they see a national trend swinging towards the GOP, well, that could galvanize more Republicans to get out. It's kind of like a bandwagon effect. And on top of that, if Democratic Party voters feel as if there is GOP momentum and all hope is gone, then that could encourage them to stay home. So the reason why I'm making this video is to let you all know that if you live in a district that's a toss up or even a safer lean D district, you shouldn't take that for granted and make a prediction and base your decision to vote or not vote on that prediction. Because trust me, the polls oftentimes and the predictions aren't a representation of what happens in reality. They're just kind of a gauge of where voters are at, but you can never take that into consideration fully. You have to just vote. So if you live in this district, get your ass out there and vote for Katie Porter. Because again, I have my policy disagreements with her. But if the Democratic Party lost her, this would be horrible for them. So they should be doing everything in their power to protect her. Joe Biden and other Democrats should be campaigning for her because she is a very talented order. And to lose her, to lose these viral videos that she produces where she grills CEOs and Wall Street executives with her whiteboard, that would be really bad for the Democratic Party. I think that more Democrats need to emulate her strategy and speak about these issues the way that she speaks about them with clarity, focus, and data. And she just has to be protected. So if you live in this district, for the love of God, just get out there and vote for Katie Porter because... The Democratic Party can't afford to lose her, and I don't think Americans can afford to lose her. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.